Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. To those of you who are regular listeners of the Paranormal Factor podcast, welcome back. And to you new listeners, welcome. Thank you all for stopping by. Before we get into this episode, let me just say thank you to everyone who's taken the time to listen and support the show with a follow or a like. It's really deeply appreciated. Now let's get into the episode topic of black-eyed kids. So you're sitting home alone, watching some television. It's late. All of a sudden, there's a knocking at your door. And you think to yourself, this is ridiculous. It's way too late for somebody to be knocking at the door. And maybe you even feel a little apprehensive. You get up and you walk to your front door and you look out through the glass and see two children. They're dressed somewhat oddly. Maybe it's not quite right for the weather outside. Or maybe the styling of the clothes seem somewhat antiquated. In any event, you start to feel more and more apprehensive. A dread is creeping into you. And you say, can I help you? And one of the children says, we need to use your phone. Please let us in. You almost instinctively know that the absolute wrong move here is to open the door and let them in. And as you're trying to think of how to respond, to say anything to keep these children from actually coming into your home. One of them looks up straight into your face and for the first time you notice the eyes are entirely black. These are the scary black-eyed kids and there are literally hundreds of reports out there from people who have encountered these frightening entities. They are typically described as children in the ages of 6 to 16. They're always seen as a group with at least two present together. Sometimes it even appears the older child is somehow mentoring or training the younger one. They also are often inappropriately dressed, such as light clothing in very cold weather, or raggedy clothing in an affluent or well-to-do neighborhood. They sometimes may be shoeless, They appear pale. They may appear dirty or unsanitary. And of course, they have one overriding physical trait that stands out in a defining way. Where normal eyes will have distinct colored lenses and whites of the eye, their eyes are utterly and horrifyingly total pitch black orbs. It is the one characteristic that causes immediate fear, dread, and even panic in those who encounter them. Their hallmark is a sudden, almost out of nowhere appearance at a home's front door, or parked driver's window, or along the side of the road. 
they will always ask for something. To be let in is the most common request. Sometimes it is a request for a ride in your car, and it's always justified by a ploy to pray on your goodwill. We need to go home. Please give hey, us mister, a ride home. We need a ride home. We need to come in and use your phone. Let us in. Let us it's in. cold out. Can we please come in to wait for our parents? Let us in. Initially, those encountering them may feel pity, but then an almost primeval sense of danger kicks in, usually as the person has unconsciously been reaching to open the door. And that is when the encounter turns dark and a sense of dread and danger become overwhelming. And it is at this point, most often, that the person realizes there is something terribly wrong here. Their eyes. At this point, the black-eyed kids become insistent, even appearing desperate. Experiencers of the encounters talk about their willpower being under assault. It is only after firmly standing their ground and telling them no or fleeing that the spell is broken and the encounter ends. The phenomenon we know today as black-eyed kids really begins in the town of Abilene, Texas, and with a local newspaper reporter's very strange encounter in 1996. Brian Bethel, journalist for the Abilene Reporter News, provided the earliest reported sighting at the time in 1996 in Abilene, Texas. In Bethel's report, he describes a late evening out in his vehicle. He had stopped in a parking lot near a movie theater to write a check. He was so absorbed in what he was doing that he didn't notice two young boys approach his car. He didn't notice until the older boy tapped the driver's side window. Bethel rolled down his window and noted immediately a soul-racking fear, though he couldn't understand why. Bethel related his story again in an interview in 2013. I had gone down to the former site of Camelot Communications, one of the area's original internet providers, to pay my bill. At the time, Camelot was located on North 1st Street near the movie theater in the shadow of what is now Chase, then Bank One. I was using the light of the theater's marquee to write out my check, which I planned to put in Camelot's night drop slot. Involved in my work, I never heard them approach. There was a knock on my driver's side window. Two young boys, somewhere between 9 to 12 years old and dressed in hooded pullovers, stood outside. I cracked the window a bit, anticipating a spiel about money, but I was immediately gripped by an incomprehensible, soul-wracking fear. I had no idea why. A conversation ensued between one boy, a somewhat suave, oil-skinned, curly-headed young man, and myself. The other uh, red-headed, pale-skinned, freckled young man stayed in the background. The spokesman as I've come to think of him, told me that he and his companion needed a ride. They wanted to see a movie, Mortal Kombat, but they had left their money at their mother's house. Could I give them a ride? Plausible enough, but all throughout this exchange, the irrational fear continued and grew. I had no reason to be frightened of these two boys, but I was, terribly. 
After a bit more conversation, I looked up at the theater marquee and down at the digital clock display in my car. Mortal Kombat's last show of the night had already started. By the time I could have driven the boys anywhere and back, it would practically have been over. All the while, the spokesman uttered assurances. It wouldn't take long. They were just two little kids. They didn't have a gun or anything. The last part was a bit unnerving. I noticed that my hand had strayed toward the lock on my door. I pulled it away, perhaps a bit too violently. In the short time I had broken the gaze of the spokesman, something had changed and my mind exploded in a vortex of all-consuming terror. Both boys stared at me with coal-black eyes. The sort of eyes one sees these days on aliens or bargain basement vampires on late-night television. Soulless orbs like two great swaths of starless night. I did what I feel any rational person would do. I full-on freaked out inside while trying to appear completely sane and calm. I apologized to the kids. I made whatever excuses came to mind, all of them designed to get me the hell out of there fast. The aura of fear was now a palpable black hanging thing, almost as if reality itself was warping around me. I wrapped my hand around the gear shift, threw the car into reverse, and began to roll up the window, apologizing all the while. My fear must have been evident. The boy in the back wore a look of confusion. The spokesman banged sharply on the window as I rolled it up, his words full of anger echoing my mind even today. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. I drove out of the parking lot in blind fear, and I'm surprised I didn't sideswipe a car or two along the way. I stole a quick look in my rearview mirror before peeling out into the night. The boys were gone. Even if they had run, I don't believe there was any place they could have hidden from view that quickly. To this day, Bethel still stands by his story. So, this story was the first one in the modern era that really gained an audience and following. It's easy to disbelieve Bethel's story. The internet has made growing new legends relatively easy with sites like Creepypasta. However, Bethel's story predates these websites. It wasn't until his story became more widely known that lots of folks came forward with their own black-eyed kids' encounters. There's a couple of stories dating back to 1974 and 1950, and in other countries. While we can definitively say Brian had a huge impact on the awareness of the phenomenon, and perhaps even indirectly helped to propagate new stories, we can also categorically state he did not create the first encounter with the Black Eyed Kids. Those encounters had happened well before his. Stories of encounters with black-eyed kids can be readily found on the internet and also in G. Michael Vasey's 2017 book, The Chilling True Terror of the Black-Eyed Kids, as well as David Weatherly's book from 2012, Black-Eyed Children. The internet, in particular, is full of similar stories to Bethel's. It appears hundreds, if not thousands, of people across the U.S. have had an encounter with these mysterious and menacing black-eyed kids.
The following nine stories are representative of most of the reports of black-eyed kid encounters. They are true stories, at least according to those who are reporting their encounters. These are eyewitness reports, and as such, I have no reason to doubt the individual's authenticity or their expressed experience. There is, however, no proof for or against these sightings. Likewise, there is no valid way to determine if an encounter was a mistaken interpretation or an actual paranormal or even supernatural encounter. You be the judge. Let us in. It almost felt like a dream. I woke up to my dog Lucy barking. She was upright on the bed where my husband and I were sleeping with our 22-month-old daughter, staring at our door like an unknown stranger was out there rummaging around. I thought she was just freaking out over a house noise. We'd only had her for three months and she was still a puppy. It, it could have been anything, our roommate, a creak from the house settling, the awnings moving outside in the breeze. I wasn't too concerned initially. I decided the best bet would be to open the door and show her nothing was there. It sounds a bit silly, but it's what we do with our daughter when she gets scared, and I figured it should work with a puppy, too. I opened the door, and she raced to the front door. She stood there, snarling at the door. It was an angry, violent growl, one I had never heard her make before. I looked groggily at her and opened the baby gate, blocking the doorway, planning to open the door and show her everything was okay. The second my hand reached for the deadbolt, Lucy went wild. She started barking and jumping toward me, and when I touched the metal, she suddenly changed her temper. She whimpered, almost like she was afraid and backing down. As her mannerism changed, so did mine. I wasn't calm anymore. My heart was racing and sinking at the same time. I had been flooded with a mixture of fear and dread. I looked through the peephole. I can't explain why I looked, but I did. Outside were two kids. One was just a bit shorter than me and didn't look much younger. I'm 21 and she looked to be 16 or 17. She was slender and pale. Her hair was a light shade of honey blonde and she wore it long, about mid-back, with long, thin, blunt bangs in the front that covered most of her eyes. She wore jeans, a light wash that's popular right now, and a thin-looking olive-colored pullover style hoodie. She held the hand of a small girl who looked to be around three or four in the same style jeans and a button-down ivory cardigan. The smaller one looked at the floor shyly but had the same shade of hair tied back in a ponytail. She held a stuffed toy under her free arm and it was identical to one my daughter has, as was their style of dress. Had it not been for the feeling of just this overwhelming dread and fear, I probably would have asked these children in and given them some tea or hot chocolate to get them out of the bitter cold. Something about them, though, seemed off. At this point, I hadn't made any noise. I, I hadn't shushed the dog or grumbled, nothing. I hadn't turned on any lights. These kids had no indication I was at the door. The older one spoke. She had a voice that was mature, confident, strong, and accentless. She held her head tilted downward, and I couldn't see her eyes. She said, we have to use your phone. I stood frozen in fear. How did she know I was there? She raised her head to face me directly, and that was when I saw her eyes. 
There was a reason I couldn't see them through her bangs before. They were black or midnight blue or a dark, dark purple. They were otherworldly. She said, our mother is worried. As someone who has always been interested in creepy stories, I knew what she was the second she looked at me through the door. I had never been one to believe in these things. As a staunch atheist and skeptic, when it comes to the paranormal, I had written off many a ghost story from friends and family members eager to tell their tale. Still, I, I just couldn't rationalize my way out of this. I was standing with nothing but a thin wooden door between me and a black-eyed kid. There was no questioning what was right in front of me. I did not answer her. Slowly and silently, I backed away from the door, Lucy still cowering at my ankles. She kept talking. Just let us in to use your phone. I took another step back, and with that step, the tone changed. At first, she seemed polite. When I took that second step back, she became commanding, almost hostile. We're not going to hurt you. If we wanted to do that, we would have broken in. I'll ask again. May we come in and use your phone? Lucy snarled at the door and I inched backward, though something inside me seemed to be slowly pulling me back toward the door. It wasn't a physical pulling so much as a subconscious need to go back and let them in. I got to my room, covered up the window, locked the door, and sat there in the dim light of the nightlight. I heard her call me back to the door once more, and then quiet. I didn't go back to sleep that night, and I haven't slept right since. I know from reading about them that black-eyed kids can't just come in without permission. I know they haven't hurt anyone, but I still fear I'll be the exception. When I told my husband, he said it was just a dream. He keeps telling me to forget it. But this lingering feeling of sadness, this dread when the house is silent at night, this fear of a knock at the door, that tells me otherwise. We need to come inside. To use your phone, please. I'm in the uh, United States Air Force, and I live on base. I had never encountered anything strange on base until this particular incident happened. I was on base one weekend. Almost everyone else was home, drinking, sleeping, or on duty. I had only stayed that weekend because I'd spent all my money. I was on my bunk watching a movie when I heard a knock at my door. I thought it was my roommate. I went and opened it. Instead of a roommate, I found two kids standing on the walkway. Only these kids freaked the hell out of me. I don't know what it was about them, but we're always told to listen to what's inside because it just might save your life. Right then, that voice was screaming at me to shut the door and lock those kids out. There was also the little telltale sign that these kids had pitch black eyes. I mean, there was absolutely no white or any other color to them whatsoever. Just pure black. I asked them what they were doing here at this time of night. One of them told me that it was cold out and that they wanted to come in and read. Uh, I, I've never met a kid that wanted to come in and read, and I knew for a fact that they didn't belong on this base. They didn't mention any parents, any broken down cars, or even how they had managed to get this far out to the base. There was nothing sincere about these kids. They were playing a game. It was at this point when I noticed that I couldn't drag my eyes away from theirs. I felt like I was being sucked in. It felt absolutely horrendous. 
as though my life were being dragged from my body, screaming. They just stood there with their mouths closed, eyes staring into mine, and no emotion at all. I prayed for someone else to come by, but nobody did. I glanced around. The kids stepped forward, and I stepped back and slammed the door shut. I felt as though I were in grave danger. Every warning bell was going off in my head. I stepped back, and I fell on my bunk, drained of energy. I heard soft knocking against the door for a few minutes, shuffling feet, and then nothing. The next morning, I went down and asked one of the officers on duty if he had seen the kids. He hadn't. Reading the accounts on your site, I believe I came face to face with these kids on a military base. How did they get in? I have no idea. Where did they go? I have no idea. But if they can get onto a military campus, they can get anywhere. Let us in. Let us in. Let us in. Uh, let me preface this by saying I don't believe in the paranormal. Ghosts, demons, aliens, whatever. However, I, I did have an event happen to me this Halloween, I have to admit, has me scratching my head. So it had been a slow trick-or-treat night in our neighborhood that evening, which is pretty odd in itself. We usually have kids from different areas dropped off in ours, and we have a constant parade at our door. That night, I'd say we'd had no more than eight or ten groups of kids come by the entire night. It was about 9.30 p.m., and my husband and I were sitting in our family room watching some of those ghost shows based on supposedly actual events. Like I said, I don't believe in that stuff, but I do like a good ghost story now and then, and eh, it was Halloween after all. We hadn't had any activity at the door in over half an hour, and it was getting late, so we decided to turn the porch light off and let our dog Chloe out of her crate. Chloe is an American bulldog and is very docile. We only put her in her crate because we were afraid she'd try and get out to play with all the kids, and I didn't want to have to chase after her down the street. So I turned the outside light off, let Chloe out, and she followed me back to the couch and lay down at my feet. It was getting close to 10 p.m. when my husband decided he'd had enough fun for the night and was going to go upstairs, take a shower, and get ready for bed. After all, it was a Thursday, and he still had to get up early the next day. My teenage son was out with his friends at a local haunted house and wasn't expected back for another hour or so, so that left me alone on the couch with Chloe. It wasn't long after I heard the upstairs water for the shower turn on when there came a light knock, knock, knock at the front door. My initial reaction was, what the hell, really? It's almost 10 o'clock. Go home. But soon an uneasy feeling came over me. Why the knock? Our doorbell glows in the dark, and without the porch light, it would be extra obvious to anyone there. I paused. I couldn't really just ignore it. Our front door has a big beveled glass panel and anybody right at the door could see in enough to see someone was in the family room watching TV. It would be pretty rude for me to just sit there and not answer it. Knock, 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 again from the door. I glanced down at Chloe and she was gone. My gaze followed her usual path to the front door expecting her to be on her way there as she normally does, but nothing. She wasn't there. I stood up to look around the room better and found her crouching by the back door like she was wanting out. However, she never asks to go out like that. She always comes and licks my hand or puts her head on my knee. This was totally out of character for her, and I have to say it heightened my anxiety. 
Chloe, crate, I said. She just turned back to look at me like, hell no, lady, ain't moving. I yelled up to my husband, but he was already in the shower, and I knew there was no chance of him hearing me. Knock, knock, knock. About that time, a car drove down our street and cast just enough light on the door to where I could see the silhouettes of two small children through the glass. I instantly felt relief. It it was just some kids, probably a couple of my neighbors on their way back home that wanted to stop by and show me their costume or something. I headed to the door and turned on the porch light, and sure enough, I could see through the glass that it was a couple of pretty small kids. A little late for such young ones, I thought, and I began to wonder about what kind of parents would let their kids run the streets that late at night. I only opened the door enough to where I could block Chloe's escape if she decided to run past me which was only about two feet. What struck me immediately as odd were the kids didn't have on costumes. They were in normal street clothes. Also, no customary trick-or-treat greeting either. I began to feel very uneasy again. It was a girl and a boy. The girl to my left was older, I'd say about 11 or 12. I could tell she was blonde, but I couldn't make out any distinct features as our lights are from high above and on columns at the front of the porch, so most of the light was coming from behind them. I had not opened the door wide enough for any light from inside to hit them directly. The boy was younger and about a foot shorter, I'd say eight or nine, and looked to have light brown hair. The girl very politely spoke up. Ma'am, can we please come inside and use your phone to call our mom? As she spoke, something in the pit of my stomach was telling me something was wrong. What kid, even at that age, doesn't have a cell phone of their own these days? I couldn't remember the last time I'd had anybody ask to use my home phone. Um, hun, don't you have a phone of your own you can call your mom on? I asked. This was when things really got weird. Both kids turned to look at one another like they were going to say something to one another, but neither ever spoke. They both turned back to me and the girl said, Ma'am, my cell phone battery doesn't have any charge left in it. Can we please come inside and call our mother? We're alone out here and my brother is scared. I have to admit there were two competing feelings going on inside me. The first, that of a mother's heart that wanted to help these two small children get to their mom. The other, a sinking fear in my gut that was keeping the other feeling at bay. It was then I noticed that during the short conversation, I'd already opened the door a few extra inches, which I was completely unaware of doing. I stopped. Honey, why don't you give me your mother's number, and I can call her myself. Another pause, and they again looked at one another. After a short moment, they turned back to me, and the girl said, Ma'am... My little brother has to use your bathroom. Can we please come inside while you call our mom? And with that last statement, the little girl moved closer toward the door like she was going to just walk on in by me. As she did, she stepped into the light coming from inside the house, and I got my first real good look at her. Solid, jet black eyes. That's all I could see. That motherly instinct was gone and replaced by terror I don't think I've ever felt in my life. I could feel every hair on my arms and back of my neck standing at attention. I closed the door to where just my face was able to stick out. The little girl stopped and again pleaded, Please, ma'am, we're really scared and alone out here. We have to come inside. Please help us. 
Then, like on cue, both kids began to whimper and cry. That's when the fear took over, and I shut and locked the door. I'll call your mom if you give me the number, I shouted through the door, but I'm not letting you in my house. I could still see them standing there on the porch, just staring at me through the beveled glass pane. Part of me wanted to run upstairs to my husband, but the bigger part didn't want to lose track of where they were. That would have freaked me out even more to not know where they were. After what seemed like forever, but probably only a few seconds, I decided I'd call my neighbor that lives across the street. As I made my way to the side table by our couch to my phone, I glanced at the back door. Chloe was nowhere to be found. We later found her in the guest room under the bed. When I got to my phone and started to look for his contact info, it was only then the kids stepped away from the door and began to walk to the street. As they did, I walked to the door to get a better look to see where they went, still not calling my neighbor. From the door, I could see that the kids were still standing under the street lamp nearest my house, staring at me. As I lifted the phone to my ear after calling, only then did the kids start walking down our street. I met my neighbor out under the lamp once he was out there, but the kids were nowhere to be seen. Let us in. Let us in. Let us in. Uh, on March 17, 2008, I had my one and only encounter with a black-eyed kid. Before my experience, I'd never heard of anything having to do with black-eyed kids. I was 12. I was sitting outside of a hairdresser's in an old Chevy pickup waiting for my mom to get her hair cut. About 15 minutes had passed and I saw some kid walking back and forth along the sidewalk in front of my parked car. At first I thought I recognized him as one of my friends from school, so I banged on the front windshield until he looked my way. It was not anyone I knew. At this point, I was not scared, not yet. The boy walked over to the side of my car and just stares. I think to let me get a good look at his eyes, to freak me out. Let me tell you, if you have never seen a black-eyed kid, you have no idea what to imagine. Pupils black as the night sky. The boy whispers, you must let me in. And then I lock the car doors and I ducked down into the space below the seats. Five minutes later, he was gone. Please open the car door and let us in. Let us in. This really freaked me out. Yesterday, I noticed my neighbor hadn't put out all his Halloween decorations, lights, and all that stuff. The past two years, I've lived next to him. He's gone all out for Halloween. His brother and sister-in-law and their kids are always visiting him, and he plays with his three young nieces and nephews out in the yard. So anyway, I, I got home from work, and I was walking up my driveway, and I saw him outside and said something like, Hey, man, you better get your Halloween stuff up, or that house up on the street is going to beat you for best decorations. He kind of smiled sheepishly and says that he's actually going to keep his house dark this year and just put candy out. I asked if he was going out of town, but he said, no, something happened last year that really scared him. Now, I was concerned for my own safety. If some weirdos were coming around our neighborhood, which is a pretty safe neighborhood with tons of young families living here. So I asked him what happened. So he was inside watching TV and the doorbell rings. He grabs the candy bowl and heads over, noticing that it's a little past midnight. And that's pretty rude for trick-or-treaters to still be out but then notices he hasn't turned off all his decoration lights yet, so his house is still a beacon. He swings the door open and is about to yell boo or something to freak them out, but stops dead when he sees the kids at the door. 
He said one was probably around 13 to 14 and the other around 16 to 17, both boys. They weren't dressed up, but he remembers the older one was wearing a flannel checkered shirt. He was immediately overcome with unease, like opening the door was a huge mistake. They just stared at him and he noticed they had really big irises and dilated pupils. He couldn't even see the whites of their eyes, so he figured they were contact lenses. He was frozen there holding the candy bowl like he couldn't slam the door in their face as much as he wanted to. So he nervously tried to smile at them hoping they would break character and ask for candy or something. The younger one said they had gotten lost and needed to come in and use his phone. That was when he closed the door more than halfway on them and said, no, sorry. And the older one said something like, can we just wait in your house until our parents come get us? But by then he was convinced that his life was in danger and these kids must be high on something or intending to rob him and he just kept mumbling, no, sorry, good night, as he inched the door closed and locked it. He told me he was so scared at that point that they were going to try to break in through one of his windows or something, but he looked through the peephole and they had turned to leave. He watched TV with the volume really low so he could hear any sounds at all and he said he stayed up till like 5 a.m. because he was too scared to go to bed and drop his guard. The whole time he's telling me this, I'm thinking, oh my God, this sounds so familiar, just like the Black Eyed Kids urban legend. Then I thought, hey, maybe this dude is trying to scare me because after all, he does have the Halloween spirit. So I'm looking at him incredulously, but trying not to seem too gullible. So I'm like, man, that is really crazy. Sounds like the Black Eyed Kids. He just looks at me blankly. What, is that a movie or something? And I said no, but told him to go look it up online. Like an hour later, I get a knock on my door and admittedly almost jumped out of my skin thinking it's a demon child. It was my neighbor and his eyes were freaking huge. He swears to me up and down that he had never heard of the Black Eyed Kids before and it's so similar to what happened to him. So we talked a while longer and I told him that quite a few people probably know about that urban legend and it's possible it was just teenagers with black contacts trying to freak people out on Halloween. But he said the fear he felt was so primal and came over him the second he opened the door for them. We need to come inside to use your phone, please. I was on a date with my fiance, who's now my husband, one night in 1985. This took place in New York City. Both my husband and I are lifelong New Yorkers. My husband is an accountant and I'm a retired teacher. We were going out to dinner and had just pulled over near to a restaurant we used to frequent quite a lot. As my husband parked the car outside the restaurant, we both heard someone knock their knuckles against the car window, which is unusual as there is normally a doorman at this restaurant to dissuade that sort of thing. We both looked over and saw two teenage boys in hoods standing outside our car. I immediately felt fear like I've never felt it before. My hands were shaking without any reason to shake. I was instantly petrified. The two boys were pale from what I could see and looked completely stoned. My immediate reaction was to leave, but my husband didn't want to leave without dinner. My husband opened the car door and the two boys stood back to let him out. He was just going to ignore them and go into the restaurant. I opened the door on my side of the car and got out too. When I turned around, I looked at the two boys, and in the dim street light, they looked as though they had just black pools where their eyes should be, just two large patches of black. 
no other color at all. We need a ride in your car, one of them said to my husband. Mike, my husband, had actually turned his back to them to lock the car door. He hadn't seen their eyes. Well, he replied, you're SOL. It won't take long, the boy said, as though he didn't hear my husband's response. We're just young people who need a ride. That was so weird, since when did teenagers call themselves young people? It was like two old men had jumped into these teenage bodies. Well, you better take the subway. As my husband, Mike, turned, the boy started screaming, Invite us into your car. We can't enter unless you invite us. My husband was about to yell back when he saw their eyes. His face completely fell. I have never seen him so shocked by something. He sidestepped away from them and moved onto the sidewalk. I moved to the back of our car. We both watched as these two boys suddenly started screaming and shouting. The two boys backed up, still screaming and shouting. You need to let us in, one of them screamed, pointing at us. We have to see our friend. We turned around and headed into the restaurant. The doorman was standing inside the lobby, but he hadn't seen or heard the boys. Well, we had dinner, and I thought that would be the end of it. I remember feeling terrified for days after. I didn't sleep very well, and I had a lot of nightmares. I had a lot of headaches, too. A week later, and I was starting to dread going to bed, as I would see these boys every single time I opened my eyes, I was worried they would visit us again or appear in our bedroom. I was scared to leave the house, and I just felt violated, as though they had attacked me. Yet, all they had done was nothing compared to what others have gone through. They really didn't do much except scream, shout, and act weird. It was what happened to me afterwards that really bothered me. I really think that once you get caught up with these kids, they have a long-lasting effect on you. Nightmares, panic attacks, sleepwalking headaches, fear of seeing them again. What are these kids? What do they want? Some say they're demons, others say they're lost spirits. I have no idea what they are, but they terrified the hell out of me. Uh, so this account of the black-eyed kids is a little unusual. My experience took place several months ago in Kansas. I've been reading the other accounts on various sites and wanted to share my story. Looking back, the most bizarre thing about my experience was how quickly they showed up. I walked in the porch, turned around to lock it, then turned back, and there was a knock. More than anything else about this story, that freaks me out. It's not something I've seen in other accounts that I've read. I turned around and saw them, two kids. One was in his early teens, the other looked like, I don't know, 11. The older one was knocking. He looked panicked, and he was really pounding on the door. The younger one looked emotionless and didn't say anything. We have to use your phone. I felt my hand moving forward toward the doorknob, but then I yanked it back. I don't know if I need to explain that I wanted to help them, but also felt afraid of them. But I did. It's in all the encounters, so I'm just confirming that. Yes, it happened to me too. These kids absolutely strike fear into your heart. It's always seemed strange to me that no one who's ever encountered the black-eyed kids has ever heard of them before. I had at least read a few paranormal websites, and I knew of a few of the stories people had told. I think that's why it was like reflex when I heard a request to use the phone. My eyes went to theirs and I saw that they were solid black. 
and I knew what these kids were. The older kids seemed to immediately realize what I'd seen. I've heard that they usually get mad if you see their eyes. That didn't happen this time, though. His eyes got a look of desperation. I swear to God I won't hurt you, he screamed. You can trust us. That's something I've never seen reported before. I ran to get my shotgun. I wasn't going to just stand there and listen to them begging to get in for the next hour. When I came back with the gun, they were already gone. We need to come inside to use your phone, please. Working the night shift for a data center in Ohio, a worker had a creepy exchange and posted his tale anonymously as noetic. It was around 5 a.m. on July 31st, 2010. Noetic was taking a smoke break outside when he noticed two teenage boys standing motionlessly and staring at him from across the street. Immediately feeling unnerved, he snubbed out his smoke and went back inside. No more than 10 minutes later, the intercom buzzed. Noetic checked the monitors. There they were. The two boys had made their way over to his building and were now staring into the surveillance camera like they could see him through it. Through the speaker, he asked what they wanted. They said nothing, but motioned for him to come outside. He hit the speaker button again and told them to go away. They didn't leave, but continued to stare into the camera as if they were watching Noetic as he worked. Noetic was fed up after about ten minutes of this creep fest, so he went to the door to chase them off. Right before opening the door, he saw them through the one-way glass and was horrified to see their eyes were completely black. He knew he had to open up the door and tell them to get out, and he decided he'd call the police if he had to. As if the boy read his mind, the moment the door opened, he said, That will not be necessary, sir. We simply need to use your phone. Can you let us in? Noetic was not about to fall for that nonsense. He pulled out his cell and threatened to call the police if they didn't leave. He made sure the door was locked, and he went back to the monitor. Only one boy was still there staring at the camera. Then he realized the second boy positioned himself out back and was staring into camera three. Noetic called the police. Both boys moved into a blind spot with no camera coverage. Noetic waited for them to reappear, but they simply vanished. The police arrived around 6 a.m., and both boys were gone. A gas station attendant in northeast Louisiana had a terrifying encounter in November of 2012. The gas station was creepy enough to begin with at 3 a.m., but then the power went out. Led by the light of his cell phone, the attendant was able to get the generators going, but the backup lighting was dim and only lit up certain areas, like the cash area and the parking lot, while the rest of the isolated establishment was cloaked in black. Out in that darkness, he noticed movement. Three children on bikes were heading his way. They stood at the door and stared at the attendant. He felt creeped out, but they were just kids, and it was way too late for them to be out. He opened the door and asked if they were okay. The young girl asked to use a phone, but as he handed his cell over to her, he realized her eyes were all black. No, I need the real one, she pointed at the landline inside. The thought of letting her inside sent chills up his spine. He shouted at all of them to leave as he slammed and locked the door. The children stood there a bit longer, silently staring at him through the glass with their solid black eyes. Then they got back on their bikes and disappeared back into the darkness. Let us in. 
Brian Bethel had the opportunity to revisit the incident he originally experienced and reported in 1996. In a 2013 interview with the newspaper he writes for, the Abilene Reporter News, he said the following. I write for a lot of reasons. I'd do it even if I didn't get paid to do so. So I wrote down the story of what had happened more or less as a cathartic exercise and shared it with a small group of friends on an email list. From there, it got out onto the wider internet and grew and grew and grew. Type my name in Google, you'll find it soon enough. In time, there was a term coined for what I'd seen. B.E.K.'s, black-eyed kids. I wouldn't have chosen it personally, but it's the acronym the internet knows. I've been contacted by everyone from Korean television stations planning New Year's Eve shows to regular people who just wanted to talk. More interesting to me has been sporadic, but more than occasional, contact from people who think they may have seen something similar. Some narratives follow the template of my original encounter a bit too slavishly, and those are easy to dismiss. But others have a more subtle ring of the same sort of panic and helplessness I felt. Similar experiences have been now in places from suburban neighborhoods to your standard dark alleys throughout the country, possibly beyond. Kids like the one I saw have allegedly been seen wandering through certain 24-hour big box retailers in the middle of the night and banging on the front doors of numerous witnesses. Are all of these accounts true? Unlikely. Are there enough to at least reinforce my belief that I encountered something truly strange? Definitely. Do I expect you to believe me blindly? Uh, of course not. I might not believe it myself if I heard such a story from someone else. I do feel like I can say this with some authority. This was back in the day when freaky, cold black contact lenses weren't widely available to a couple of kids in Abilene, Texas for anything under a small fortune. And there wasn't enough time to even put such things on in the short time I broke the spokesman's gaze, if they could afford them. Will I ever know for certain what I saw? Probably not. Do I ever care to see them again? Hell no. As much as I still don't know about what happened that night and why, here's one thing that I do know. And it's a gut feeling, but one that rises to a level of almost certainty. If I had given the spokesman and his friend a ride on that long ago evening, I don't think I would be here to type this now. End of story. So, what exactly are the black-eyed kids? Well, your guess is as good as any. Many regard them as little more than urban myths, grown popular due to internet creepypasta forums and sites. Some argue black-eyed kids are ghosts, others claim they're demons, vampires, or practitioners of evil or even satanic magic. Some UFO lore depicts them as human-alien hybrids while others believe they are just children playing pranks on people. Now, if they do exist, what exactly do the black-eyed kids want? Other than the literal wanting to come in, this is also a mystery. 
Some suggest that they want to steal your soul or possess you. Others have suggested they are looking to inflict physical and psychological damage for reasons unknown. And yet others have postulated they are alien hybrids looking to encounter humans with the possible intention of abduction. There does seem to be one very disturbing factor associated with black-eyed kid encounters, one you would do well to remember and be cautious about. Many of those reporting encounters have mentioned it. It seems the more you think about them showing up at your door, the more likely it is that they will. If you hear knocking late at night at your front door, do your best to ignore it. But whatever you do, don't answer it. And now it's time for the episode quiz. So, once again, if you've been sort of tagging up with us on the Facebook page, you'll know that Tuesdays are quiz day. And then we give you the answer here on the podcast on Fridays. So, if you do get a chance, please go out and check out the Facebook page. We have a lot of great content out there. Mondays are Monster Monday. We highlight a monster. Tuesday, as I mentioned, is the quiz. Wednesday, we highlight a movie or book associated with the paranormal. And Thursday, we try to get you some recent paranormal news that's out there. So this week's question was, when was the first sighting of Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster? Was it A, 1933, B, 565, C, 1327, or D in 1886. So once again, when was the first sighting of Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster? 1933, 565, 1327, or 1886? And the correct answer is... 565 A.D., but partial credit if you selected A, 1933, because that was the year the first alleged photo of Nessie was taken. The earliest report of a monster in the vicinity of Loch Ness appears in the life of St. Columba by Adamon, written in the 6th century A.D., and according to Adamon, writing about a century after the events described, the Irish monk St. Columba was staying in the land of the Picts with his companions when he encountered local residents burying a man by the river Ness. Not the Loch Ness, but rather the river that flows in. They explained that the man was swimming in the river when he was attacked by a water beast that mauled him and dragged him underwater despite their attempts to rescue him by boat. Columba sent a follower to swim across the river. The beast approached him, but Columba made the sign of the cross and said, Go no further. Do not touch the man. Go back at once. I wish I could have done that in a proper Irish accent. Sorry. The creature stopped as if it had been pulled back with ropes and fled, and Columba's men and the Picts gave thanks for what they perceived as a miracle. Modern interest in the Loch Ness Monster was sparked by a sighting on July the 22nd, 1933, when George Spicer and his wife saw a most extraordinary form of animal, he said, cross the road in front of their car. 
They describe the creature as having a large body about 4 feet high and 25 feet long and a long, wavy, narrow neck slightly thicker than an elephant's trunk and as long as the 10 to 12 foot width of the road. They didn't see any limbs. It lurched across the road toward the lock 20 yards away, leaving a trail of broken undergrowth in its wake. Spicer described it as the nearest approach to a dragon or prehistoric animal that I have ever seen in my life and as having a long neck which moved up and down in the manner of a scenic railway. I'm not sure what he means by that. It had an animal in its mouth and had a body that was fairly big with a high back, but if there were any feet, they must have been of the web kind. And as for a tail, he couldn't say, as it moved so rapidly. And when they got to the spot, it had probably disappeared into the lock. The surgeon's photograph, famous photograph that if you go to the Facebook page, that's what you're looking at there um, on the posting, is reportedly the first photo of the creature's neck and head. Supposedly taken by Robert Kenneth Wilson, a London gynecologist, it was published in the Daily Mail on April 21, 1934. Wilson's refusal to have his name associated with it led to it being known as the surgeon's photograph. According to Wilson, he was looking at the lock when he saw the monster, grabbed his camera, and snapped four photos. For 60 years, the photo was considered evidence of the monster's existence, although skeptics dismissed it. It finally came to light in the 1990s that the whole incident had been a hoax and the photos were all faked. So you'll definitely want to be here for our next episode. It's going to be about Spring-Heeled Jack, a nefarious entity from Victorian England that terrorized London and surrounding areas in the 1830s and beyond. This one is one wild tale. You're not going to want to miss it. So join us next week for a close encounter with Springheel Jack. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.